More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I am Kelly, your host, and we are going to dive into what I think is going to be a really great episode of Survivor Sanctuary. But before we get to the meat of the episode, we've got a little bit of housekeeping to take care of. One, if you have not yet joined the Survivor Sanctuary group, we are just a few people away from 100 members of the group. And if you join and you are the 100th person to join, you're going to get a very special prize from yours truly. The way that you join the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group is you go on Facebook, you search Survivor Sanctuary and request to join. I will add you there. And if you are the 100th member of the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group, you are going to get a very special prize. And I'm not revealing right now what it is, but be excited. You're definitely going to enjoy it. So I wanted to talk about another way that you can participate in the podcast, and that is by leaving a voice message. And I am going to start airing some of your voice messages. And all you have to do is visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary. Again, that's anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary. And I will link to that in the show notes in case you're listening on uh, Apple Podcasts or not listening directly from the anchor.fm site. All you have to do is click where it says message and you can leave a voice message. If you want to just talk about um, the podcast, what you think of the podcast, if you want to share part of your story, you just want to say something to the podcast audience, I would love to start airing some of your messages. So I want you to go ahead and do that. You can visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary, and I'd love to hear some of your voices here on the podcast on a regular basis. On today's podcast, I am going to be telling the story of a very special girl who has given me permission to share a part of her story here on the podcast. And actually, she is our very first voice messenger. I asked her just to record a little intro, and she did that for me. Hi, my name is Rachel, and I asked Kelly to share part of my story. So that is Rachel. And it's funny. I have talked about a Rachel on this podcast almost every single week for like the last month. And uh, this is a different Rachel than the Rachel that's in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. This Rachel is actually a relative of mine, not by blood, but sort of by marriage. She's my aunt's niece and we have different grandparents but we share an aunt, which is very special. And I was very recently introduced to Rachel. We haven't met in person. We've mostly chatted online. And I was very touched by Rachel's story. And I was so honored that she shared her story with me because I know that it was difficult for her to do. And I am doubly honored that Rachel has asked me to share a part of her story here on the podcast today. Rachel's story begins on September the 7th of 2011. And in fact, Her story began much earlier than that. Rachel was 22 years old, 
At the time of her story that we're talking about, September 7th of 2011, Rachel was 22 years old. And Rachel shared with me that she was homeschooled and was at a third grade level in school and very shy around people that she didn't know. Rachel was and is a very vulnerable adult. And rather than protecting her as every single person in her church should have done, what happened instead was that one of the prominent members of the church began to sexually assault Rachel. Rachel refers to him as the sound man. He was working sound in the church at the time, and he began to take advantage of Rachel's vulnerability, assaulting her repeatedly in the sound booth. Rachel was terrified, and more than just being terrified about the abuse that she was experiencing at the hands of this man who happened to be the pastor's son-in-law. His daughter was Rachel's sister's best friend, And so there was a family relationship there. There was a church relationship. He was literally married to the pastor's daughter, and he was married with children at the time that he started sexually assaulting Rachel. So not only was Rachel terrified of the things that he was doing to her in this sound booth on Sunday nights, on Wednesday nights, not only was she scared because of what was physically happening to her, but she was scared to tell anyone in her family because of the relationships that her family had with this man. Again, pastor's son-in-law, his daughter was great friends with Rachel's sister. She was afraid that people were not going to believe her if she came forward with this story. And it's understandable. Obviously, if you're a survivor of sexual abuse, you understand the fear. And in Rachel's case, being even more vulnerable to abuse and more innocent It was an even greater level of fear. So I'm going to get to the reaction of the church when Rachel's family did find out what happened. I'm going to get to how the church responded and uh, what they did well and what they did terribly. Uh, We'll get to that. But there is a part of Rachel's story that I think is so, so important to share and is something that actually happens quite often in a lot of our stories of abuse, and that is being re-traumatized by the people that you reach out to for help. For some of us, we tell a church, hey, this is what's happening, and I need you to intervene because I want to protect other people. And you get people who are angry, essentially, that you're coming forward, people who either don't believe you or they do believe you, but they don't want you to talk about it because they don't want to have to do anything about it. So we've all experienced being re-traumatized. And it's hard enough for me to wrap my brain and my emotions around what that feels like. It's hard enough for me as a person who has spent a lot of time trying to work through the complexities of everything and who has read a bazillion self-help books. It's hard enough. So I can't imagine for a vulnerable person like Rachel how much worse it was for her. So Rachel had met a Southern Gospel trio at a church camp meeting, and she was in contact with this group via email. So when the sound man at her church, the son-in-law of the pastor, started sexually assaulting Rachel, she reached out to the only people she felt safe to reach out to. 
Now, I asked Rachel to share with me why she didn't go to her family and why she went to someone else instead. And that was not in any way to say that it was the wrong thing to go to someone. I want to make that clear. I just wanted to understand like where she was in her emotions and in her feelings, because I know why I would have done that, but I wanted to make sure that I was representing exactly how Rachel was feeling. And she shared with me that she was afraid to tell her dad. She was afraid to tell her family because she was scared because of the relationship that her sister had with this girl and that her family had with their family and all of the relationships in the church that were going to get very complicated. Rachel was afraid, and I know that shame is always a part of that, but she knew that she needed help. So she bravely reached out to this Southern Gospel Trio. Uh, They are part of the Southern Baptist Church, FYI. We know how good uh, that the Southern Baptists are not at handling uh, sexual abuse allegations. Um, That's a podcast for a different time. But Rachel began to send messages, and I just want to read you uh, a couple of these messages uh, where Rachel is reaching out to try and get help for what is happening to her. So her messages begin the day that her abuse began on September the 7th of 2011. She said, the sound man at church is touching me. He said, I can come back next Sunday night before church. And she signed her first and last name. Her second email that same day, he made me touch him somewhere. I don't want to. He's the same age as you and he's married. Again, she signs her first and last name. This man's response to her email reaching out to him to share that she was being sexually assaulted by a man in the church. His response was three words, tell your father. Not, sorry to hear that, not, oh my goodness, this is awful and you really need to get help and I will help you get help. His response was three words, tell your father. You know, it probably was a really good idea for Rachel to share with her dad what was happening, but she was frozen by fear. She was frozen by shame. She was frozen by the fact that she was in a situation that due to her vulnerability, she did not understand. Three messages in a row, and all that he can say is tell your father. She messaged him again on September the 12th of 2011, five days later. She simply said, I had an emotional breakdown. Again, she signed her first and last name, and again, she received a pretty callous response from Gerald, the lead singer of this gospel trio. His message said, so sorry, I hope you talked with your father. Rachel's response to him was, I have not talked to my father yet. I get this feeling to where I want to tell him, but then I don't because I'm still afraid of what the sound man will do to me. Can you pray for me? Gerald's response, the sound man will do nothing in all caps. Your father needs to know. Rachel again reached out to him. I don't have the strength to tell my father what the sound man is doing to me. My sister is friends with his daughter. He has two daughters and a son. Again, she signs her full name. Gerald's response, you must tell your father. I'm not in a position to help you any further in this matter. Your father is the only person who can help you. In January of 2012, Rachel tried again. This extremely vulnerable adult sent another message to Gerald the lead singer of a gospel trio that had been at her church's camp meeting sometime in the recent past. She said, the sound man at church is touching me somewhere I don't want to be touched, and he is married, he lifts up my skirt, I'm 22, and he is the same age as you. Again, she signs her full name. 
Again, Gerald's response is very callous. Sorry, but I can't help you with that. We've told you repeatedly to tell your father about it. He's there and we'll take care of it. There's nothing we can do 500 miles away other than call your dad if you won't tell him what's going on with that guy you keep referring to. There was one last email that Rachel shared with me from April of 2013. This abuse had been going on since September 7th of 2011. And on April 4th, 2013, she reached out to this gospel trio singer one more time to ask for help. And his response was, yeah, there's really nothing I can do for you. And the part of the email that makes my blood just completely boil to volcanic temperatures is this. And I quote, my opinion is you should have told him about this the very first time it happened. And for you to continue allowing it makes me think you don't really want anything to be done about it. This will be my last message to you concerning this issue. Tell your father, now he's in all caps, tell your father and stay away from this vulgar and sick sound man. Please do not contact any of us again about this subject, since you are going to allow it to continue. Otherwise, provide your father's correct contact information to me, and we will contact him. Thank you. I have so many things that I could say right now, and none of them are very nice. But one of the reasons that this is so upsetting to me is that a person who is very clearly an extremely vulnerable adult was messaging this man and asking for help. She repeatedly told him what was happening. Now, is it the lead singer of the gospel trio's fault that Rachel was being assaulted? No. But once she reported this crime to him repeatedly, did he have a responsibility to help? Yes, he did. And his only response was, tell your father, tell your father, tell your father, tell your father. And then his response was to say, for you to continue allowing this makes me think you don't really want anything to be done about it. So he essentially tells her, if you're not going to tell your dad, it's because you want to be assaulted sexually by this man in a sound booth whenever you attend services at your church. My heart absolutely breaks for Rachel because I cannot even imagine her fear and her confusion over the way this man was responding. And Rachel, in childlike innocence, continued reaching out for help to this person. For whatever reason, she chose Gerald. And no, he didn't have anything to do with the situation. And I guess it could be argued that he didn't have any obligation to help. But not having an obligation to help is not an excuse for not helping, especially when you go from church to church performing in the name of God. He used Rachel's fear of telling her father about what happened as an excuse for not helping her. If somebody came to me and told me that this was happening to them, and all I had was their first and last name, oh, and let me interject, not only did he have Rachel's first and last name, he also knew the city that she lived in because he repeatedly says he's 500 miles away. You only know how many miles away you are from someone if you know where they live. So you've got the first and last name and city of dwelling of a person over the age of 18, and you're telling me the only way you can find this person's family contact information is if this person gives it to you is completely and utterly ridiculous. In 2013, technology was way more advanced than that. Like a Google search could have done a lot. 
it would not have been difficult at all to locate Rachel's family, to locate her home church, or to alert the authorities in the town where she lived that she was being repeatedly sexually assaulted by a man at her church. When I think of all of the ways that they could have tried to help and didn't, I guess what really bothers me so much about it is there's a callousness from the very beginning in these emails that essentially says, this is not our problem, go tell somebody else. Like that's really what it was. And that's not to say that this Southern gospel singer is responsible for the sexual assault that kept going for two years after she first told him. But I will say there's a really good chance that if he had done a little bit more to try and help, maybe the assaults would have stopped before they did. One of the things that really grabbed me about Rachel's story, and one of the things that I find extremely heartbreaking is that like so many survivors, it's the people they tell who traumatize them almost as much as the people who abuse them. And that's true in Rachel's case. She's broken not only over the fact that she was abused, but she's broken over the fact that this person that she looked up to, who she first heard singing at a good old-fashioned camp meeting, responded to her cries for help by essentially saying she was asking for it or enjoying it. I'm so disgusted, I literally can taste the bile in my throat. And if I sound angry, it's because I'm angry. It's because over the last few weeks of getting to know Rachel a little bit more, getting to know her story, hearing the childlike innocence in her voice, the confusion over the things that have happened to her, and the confusion over the way this Christian person decided to treat her when she reached out to them for help. I try to put myself in other people's shoes before I get too upset with them. I mean, it doesn't always work, I'll be honest. Like in traffic, it's very difficult for me to put myself in somebody else's shoes. But I try. You know, I'm thinking, this man is a singer. He doesn't know Rachel. He doesn't know anything about her. And she just sends him messages telling him she's being sexually assaulted. So I get it that you're in a situation that might be difficult. And it's not an ideal situation to be in. It's not like anybody wants to be involved in reporting a sexual assault. It's not that anybody goes out looking for that. But the fact of the matter is when somebody reaches out to you for help and your only response is rude messages to them, it's heartless and it's unfeeling. And it just really hit me. And I can't help but wonder what would have happened in Rachel's story if this man had tried harder to help, if this man had taken her emails more seriously, if he had not acted like Rachel was a gnat that he was swatting away from his face so that he could deal with the more important things in his life. I just wonder what would have been different. What from September of 2011 all the way to 2013 would have been different if he had put a little more effort Another thing I find interesting about these email exchanges that Rachel allowed me to read is that his response from the get-go is just not nice. It's tell your father. Um, How about this? Somebody comes to you and, and you don't know what to do. You're not really sure how you can help, but you're definitely not gonna be able to help by yelling at someone in all caps and telling them they just need to go tell somebody else about this problem because you can't help them. You can't be bothered, essentially. A kind and empathetic response to her fear of telling her dad what happened could probably have gone a long way. If he had told her, I want to help you 
and I, I will help you tell your dad if it's too scary for you to do it. I'll send him an email and let him know. I'll say that, you know, I believe you and I'll back you up. I'll help you somehow. Is it his responsibility to do that? No. Is it his obligation to do that? No. Is it the right thing to do as a Christian? Absolutely. Like it just is. There's no way around it. And I guess just with the last couple of weeks, a lot of things in the news have just really been bugging me. And so when I heard this part of Rachel's story, I just, I think I hit a breaking point. But whether I hit a breaking point or not, there is no argument that an extremely vulnerable human being was reaching out for help and could have been helped if somebody would have taken the time and the patience and the compassion to respond in a way that would help rather than hurt. So Rachel told me that sometimes she wants to tell this man that basically accused her of liking her sexual assault and enjoying what her assaulter was doing to her. She said she wished that she could send him a letter and just tell him exactly how horrible what he said in that email made her feel. But she said she was too afraid to send it, and I totally understand that. After you've been treated that way, you're obviously going to be fearful of confronting that person with anything again. And so I had a suggestion to Rachel that I think has been helpful for me and probably for some other people in life as well. I suggested that Rachel write an email to this man and just tell him exactly what his words did to her and that she didn't have to send it but maybe just getting it out and putting it on paper or putting it in a computer would make her feel better. And and I was really proud of Rachel. Um, The next day she sent me a letter that she had written. She said she wrote it and didn't send it, but that she felt a little better getting that off her chest. Well, there is a good ending to Rachel's story. And that is that Rachel reached out to someone else when Gerald and the gospel trio would not help She reached out to another friend and said, this is what's happening and I don't know what to do. And he immediately went and told somebody. He believed her. He knew she wasn't enjoying what was happening to her. And he immediately told somebody who could help. And that person got in contact with Rachel's father and they were able to discover and stop what had been happening to her for several years. I wish that all of the story Um, was warm and fuzzy, but when the pastor of Rachel's church found out what had been happening, he, of course, wanted to handle it in-house. Let's not involve the authorities. Let's just handle that right here between us. Uh, Despite the fact that his son-in-law, husband, father of three children, had been sexually assaulting a vulnerable adult in his congregation for years. Let's not go to the authorities with that. Let's just handle that in-house. And I am so happy to say that Rachel's dad said, oh, absolutely not. Nothing doing. We're going to the police. And Rachel shared with me that the judge was very kind to her, and he was very reassuring, explaining to Rachel that she didn't have to be afraid of this man anymore. And Rachel felt like the judge was on her side. And when she told me that, I was so happy uh, because you hear horror stories about people going to court and they're met with callous judges or judges who worry about the poor reputation of the assaulter rather than the shattered life of the victim. So I was thrilled to hear that Rachel felt like this judge was on her side and her abuser was brought to justice. Not everybody gets to see that happen in their story. 
And I'm so grateful for Rachel that she did get to see that happen. Rachel's family did end up leaving that church and moving, unable to salvage those relationships with people who essentially wanted to pretend like nothing had ever happened, wanted to pretend like the son-in-law of this pastor was not a predator. So Rachel's had to find a new church and some new friends as well. She was able to go to counseling for several years, and so there are some really good parts of Rachel's story. If you can find a silver lining in the cloud of sexual abuse, I guess that would be one of them. But my heart breaks over the callousness of people to whom Rachel was reaching out for help. People who consider their work for the kingdom more important than the vulnerable people in that kingdom. And I just find it heartbreaking. I was broken over the fact that Rachel, in her innocence, is going through this. She's confused. She's scared. She's ashamed. And she doesn't know what to do. And the people that she's reaching out to for help shame her further. Because to help her to report a crime took more effort than dialing a phone. Because apparently that's the only way this man was going to help, is if he could directly call Rachel's father. And there was no other way, no other way on earth to handle this situation. No other way on earth, despite the fact that the crime of sexual assault was being perpetrated on an extremely vulnerable human being. And I can't think of anything to say except shame on you. You took a person who was broken, whose childlike innocence was completely shattered by this sound man who decided to use her for his own perverse pleasure. She was shattered by him and you shattered her further. You had every opportunity to bind up wounds, and instead, you dug the knife in deeper. Shame on you. To Rachel, I want to say, you are so brave. Being willing to share your story, being willing to talk about what happened to you. When Rachel first reached out to me, she told me, I don't like talking about my story. I don't like talking about what happened to me. And so I, I told her, Rachel, you don't have to tell me anything. Like, you're not obligated to tell me any part of your story. I'm just glad that you are able to listen to the podcast, and I hope you hear something in it that helps make you feel better. And then Rachel mustered up a lot of courage, and she shared her story with me. And it's not courageous because she shared it with me. I'm nobody. She's courageous because she was willing to speak the truth of what happened to her out loud, even though it's a really, really difficult thing to do, especially when you're in a position like Rachel's and it's difficult for you to wrap your brain around the complexity of what's even happened. So Rachel, I want to say that you are extremely brave. I want to say that I am so, so sorry for what happened to you. I am so sorry that rather than shielding you from the darkness in the world, like everyone should, this man took advantage of you and stripped you of some of your beautiful childlike innocence. I'm sorry that that happened to you. And I just want you to know that I think you're so brave. You've got a beautiful heart, a beautiful spirit, and nobody can take that away from you. So I want to thank Rachel for asking me to share her story on the podcast today. And guys, I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir here because probably the vast majority of people who listen to this podcast are either victims of sexual abuse themselves or they care deeply about the fact that other people have to deal with sexual abuse. So I know I'm preaching to the choir when I say this, but 
it is not that hard. It's not that hard to help people. It's not that hard to be kind. It's not that hard to be empathetic. It's not that hard to be a decent human being. And the fact that we see people over and over and over again failing just to be decent human beings eats away at me. It just does. There's not an excuse good enough. There just isn't. All there is, in my opinion, is repentance. Repentance for your callous attitude. Repentance for your vile words to a person who was completely broken and shamed and confused. Repentance for telling her that she was enjoying her abuse and she wanted it to happen. Repentance for putting the Lord's work in a higher position of value than the Lord's children. And if I could say something to Gerald, that's what I would say. Would it have been super easy? Snap of your fingers, you could have stopped the abuse. No, may not have been super easy. But you could have done something. And instead, this abuse continued for nearly two more years. Because you decided, rather than to be helpful, that you were going to yell in all caps at one of the most vulnerable people in our society. Again, probably preaching to the choir here, but guys, if you ever need help figuring out how to help someone and you're not sure, I'm not telling you I have all the answers because I most definitely do not, but I promise if you ever have a question about how you can help someone that you think is in trouble, I would be happy to brainstorm with you. I would be happy to find somebody who knows more than I do, who can help you figure out exactly what can be done. Rachel's childlike innocence that shielded her from the world and that her family got to love and enjoy was shattered by this man. And the people that could help her turned a blind eye and a deaf ear. If you don't know what to do, find someone who does. If you're at a loss as to how to help and somebody is in trouble, especially someone this vulnerable, if you're not sure how to help someone, find someone who is. It's not that hard. It's not. And again, the invitation is open. If you're a member of Survivor Sanctuary on Facebook, you can totally post anything you need to post in that group. We have so many people who know so much about laws and different things. They can point you in the right direction. We don't have all the answers. But we are willing to put in blood, sweat, and tears to help you find the people who do have all the answers. If it means saving a vulnerable human being from sexual abuse, we're going to do it. Because that is what love does. We are called to love and love always protects. Not just when it's easy, not just when it's convenient, not just on days when you don't have a Southern Gospel concert to perform. Love always protects period. And I think that that puts a period on this week's episode of Survivor Sanctuary. You know what I would love to do, guys? I just would love to do this to give some encouragement to Rachel. Rachel is not on Facebook, but I would love if we can give messages to Rachel. If you want to leave a voice message on the podcast homepage, you can find it at anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary. Just click message and you can record a message for Rachel. I'd be happy to get it to her. If you want to leave a message on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook page, a word of encouragement for her, I think that would be so awesome. And I would love to be able to give that gift to Rachel. You guys are amazing. I'm privileged every single week to be able to share with you 
I don't take it for granted that there are a lot of things that you could be spending your time on. There are a lot of people much smarter than me that you could be listening to. And the fact that you listen to this podcast and that you're joining the group and interacting on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group, it means so much to me. I don't take it for granted at all. You guys are awesome. And if you have a message for Rachel, either record the voice message or you can leave it in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group, post a message there, and I'll make sure that Rachel gets to see it. I hope you enjoy the rest of today, and I will catch you back here next time on another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.